Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. We are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 16 through 17 as we're working through the book of 1 Peter. But right now, let's pray together as you're watching, um, as you're listening. God, uh, it is the truth of your word that we seek. We want to know what you mean by what you said and how it applies to our lives. We saw in scriptures, Jesus live it out perfectly. We want to do that as closely and as mimically as, as possible to Jesus Christ. So Lord, might you bless us in the moments where you find us right now. And may we be open to discern and our life be ready to be moldable and flexible and pruned away to fulfill um, the truth of your word to bring about your will in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so, uh, when I was growing up, there was this uh, commercial scheme for a credit card that was always like, don't leave home without it. So that was their sort of tagline uh, for a long time. So you'd see all these different variety of commercials. Don't leave home without it because you can use this card anywhere. Don't leave home without it because it's going to keep you from having incredible you know, things. Don't leave home without it because it's going to keep you from not being able to pay for your coffee. So there was this whole sort of mentality and that sort of caught on a little bit in the culture to where, where people are like, don't leave home without it. Then they started inventing these things so you wouldn't lose stuff and leave home. Like, where's my keys and where did I leave them? And you could make it sound or clap your hand or you could beep. And we even have that today where you can set your watch or your phone to, to beep off so that you can find or locate it. So that, that little marketing campaign grew into this whole thing that like when you leave home, you don't leave home without it. Which kind of poses the question, which is fun to think through and think over. What's something, what's the, the thing that you own, that, that you have, that if you lost, you would actually look for it till you find it? Not, oh, I can't find this, I'm going to buy another one. Not, oh, I'm going to jump a line and get it shipped here in two days. But if you lost it, you are going to look and look and look and look. You're going to tear the house up, you're going to tear the office apart till you find it. There are just some things we shouldn't leave home without. We shouldn't leave the office without. We shouldn't leave um, our singleness into relationship without. We shouldn't leave our engagedness with our fiance and move into marriage without it. And the confidence of Jesus Christ is something that we shouldn't leave at home, at the office. We shouldn't leave in the past or we shouldn't leave it for someone else to have a pursuit for us. Oh, that's okay because the, the wife loves Jesus and, and I'm just going to kind of run on her coattails. Or that's okay. When I was young, I had the confidence of Christ. But now life's busy and I just, I don't have time for that. So when we think about things that tell us to, to not leave home without it, the confidence of Christ is something you have to have today. The whole en encouragement series, having courage to do what's out there, isn't because you're stronger, smarter, better, prettier, faster, wittier than, than that which is out in the world. But instead, you've got the courage through the encouragement of God's word, First Peter specifically, chapter 3, to go, you know what? No matter what I face for the day, I'm not leaving home without Christ. I'm not moving forward. So for some of you, you don't even have Christ. You have left Christ in your past. You leave Christ every day. He doesn't have anything to do with you. So what you need is salvation. But more on that later. Let, let's look at this one thing. Let's listen to this one thing here. What we do in Christ will reveal the truth of Christ. What we do in Christ will reveal the truth of Christ. And this is a really handy and helpful sort of Swiss army knife principle of God's holy word. 
We know in Matthew chapter 5 verse 11 and 12, which is, you know this is why Peter's talking about this when we get there. It says, blessed are you, and just listen to this, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. They utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my, Jesus's account. He says in Matthew, rejoice and be glad, great is your reward in heaven. Part of the Beatitudes, the the opening monologue of Sermon on the Mount as he talks about that. So what we do in Christ will reveal the truth of Christ. Maybe you've heard it this way, the truth always comes out. And it really is true. Maybe not this side of heaven, but in Judgment Day, it's all going to be laid bare. Every out of word, thought, deed, everything we've done for Christ, that we didn't for Christ, we passed on, everything will be seen. So if we know what we do in Christ, we'll reveal the truth of Christ as Christians. Then let's look at a context to sort of bring this into life and, and see where, where Peter's kind of drilling this down and, and helping us to understand its application. First of all, we must understand that Jesus Christ has over um, has overcome, has and suffering. His overcome lies and suffering. So what we see here in this context is Jesus Christ has overcome lies and sufferings. He does that in part through the fruit of our faithfulness. You can't control what people say about you. Uh, this, is, this is probably one of the greatest messages that needs to be instilled in middle schoolers for sure. As early in life as you can find freedom from peer pressure. And it's, it's worse now than even when I was growing up. There's so much social media and so much influencers and we celebrate those who are watched and swiped and clicked and followed and liked that that that's the desire of people so they set out lives and images that aren't their own but then people can also say things against us because we're Christians we can get blocked we can get banned we can lose friends relationships because of all these things so you can't ever control what people say about you but you can influence who they see through you that being Jesus Christ. Now when you think about worrying about what people say and think. Now obviously I'm, I'm not giving a, a free license or a blank check to go. Just do what you want and say what you want. You've got a job. You've got to be a good worker. You know what HR requires of you and your bosses require of you. As a boss, you know what your boss's boss requires of you. So we have and we work in this framework to always seek and honor Christ. If you're a student, uh, a teammate, uh, in whatever kind of relationship you may find yourself, um, this isn't just do what you want and feel what you want and, and say what you want. But more enhanced, this scripture is going to help us to understand that through the fruit of our faithfulness, we don't have to worry about slander. We don't have to worry about lies and suffering and bad things that are said about us when we are faithful to God. Now, Faithfulness starts from and comes from surrenderedness. Your surrenderedness and mine. So we have to talk about salvation for a moment. Um, some, sometimes it's called being born again or becoming a Christian or a follower of Jesus or a follower of the way or, or someone who is um, committed and devoted to Christ. A, a Christian. Christians are those who can find true fulfillment and freedom from the lies that other people say because they follow Jesus Christ. Government's going to say things about you. Your best friend's going to say things about you at times. But in Christ we find this freedom. But it starts with surrenderedness. 
to Jesus Christ. You, you, you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead. Then you'll be saved. Ask forgiveness for your sins, which we all have. And surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Because only He can set you free from what being a people pleaser or caught up in what other people say or, or being hurt um, so deeply and, and sometimes it feels ir- just irrevocably by the words that people say that, that aren't true because you're serving Christ faithfully. So salvation is huge and it's, it's easy. Joel tells us you just call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Um, later on in these uh, verses, these chapters, it tells us, you know, just all of those who call on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. Everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So you have to start with salvation. So obviously Paul's, or Peter is here is writing to Christians. So if you're a Christian, you have freedom from slander, lies, libel, when you're reviled and vilified because of what you believe in. And, and here's ways that we stand up against that and aren't always um, sort of whipping posts for that, how we can offer grace and justice at the same time. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 16. We're going to look at two verses, uh, verse uh, 16 and 17. Let's just look at verse um, 16. So having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, it's going to happen, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So let's just start at the beginning of this passage of scripture right here. When it talks about having a good conscience and good behavior, it, it's telling us in these verses that Christ lessens the impact of lies people say about us as Christians because of the good conscience that we have and because of the good behavior that we demonstrate. Most often it's played out this way in the Christian life. We're living faithfully. We're bearing fruit. Uh, we're trying to be good disciples, trying to become more like Jesus' mom, dads, and fathers, and, and widows, and widows, and, and, and singles, and teenagers, and kids, and, and all of those environments. And as we do that, people will say things about us and, and make fun of us, either as a large group of Christians, or a local church, or a specific person. And this scripture tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 that if we have a good conscience, what is that? What is, what is a good conscience? A good conscience is when you think biblic- you have biblical morality about life. Which means you determine right and wrong. So we'll say good is biblical and morality is that which goes in and says this. When you have this good conscience and this good behavior, it comes from a biblical morality. It strives in that representation. Now, it talks about good behavior. What's good behavior? Good behavior is biblical responses to life. Good behavior is it and rarely so, unless it lines up with scripture, rarely so what you think is right and best. It's always what God says is best and says is right. So for those who are living for Christ, and they have a biblical morality center, they're responding to life where they work, worship, live and recharge in a biblical way, those people don't have to worry about what others say about them as they live and serve the Lord. Think how freeing that is. In fact, when we have good conscience and a good behavior in Christ, what are some of those benefits? We will never have to worry or give in to worry about what people say about us in our faithfulness. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be tempted to worry. You're going to be. But you never have to give in to it. 
If you've got a good conscience, which means I know that I am saved by grace through faith, through, through no works of my own, through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. And I know that when I respond to life, to the best of my ability and knowledge, and following the Holy Spirit, I've got good biblical behavior in Christ, because I'm saved. If you're not a Christian, and you're not saved, you can't receive any of the benefits. What people say about you, you will never find freedom from that. You will always just be lashed and broken and shredded because of what people say and how they go. But you can find freedom in Christ. I think that's important and interesting. It's not that you stand over here and just become a hardened, petrified statue of not caring. But instead, you step closer to Christ who puts his arm around you and goes, I got you. I got you. You don't have to worry about what people say. Their slander, their lies. You don't have to worry about what the world says or the state says about you. Because you're being faithful. I'm watching over you. I've got you. The truth of Christ is revealed by the observable fruit of your actions. That's what the end of the verse talks about. Some of you got a little too excited at the end of verse 16. Because it said, in your good behavior, Christ may, um, those who go against you and revile you may be put to shame. And you're like, finally, finally they're getting their just rewards. Finally they're going to suffer for, for making fun of me and God's going to get them. That's not what that means. That Greek word for shame in that definition means that they're confounded. They're conflicted inside going, I know I'm saying this, but I see from them something different. And also, um, it's that thing to, to put to blush. Like when you get embarrassed and your cheeks get flushed, you're like, oh no. When it talks about them being put to shame, it means the truth is out there. They start saying things about you. They start putting things out there that aren't true. And, and the fruit of your faithfulness becomes evidence. There, there is nothing more convincing. I, I put it this way. There's nothing more correcting than the evidence that is so very convincing when it's seen and heard firsthand. Those are the best witnesses to the truth. Hey look, I saw it. I know what you're saying, but I know that person. They're not that way. I know Christianity. True Christianity it's not that way. So the truth goes before you. The truth also comes behind you. Because remember, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are eternal. So they can rewrite things that happened in your past and the way people perceive it decades and years later. Or one day, someday, it's all going to be laid bare when we're in judgment. So if you're going like, oh man, but if I do this, people are going to worry about it. And, and maybe they're going to love me less. And, 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 and maybe it's going to make life harder for me. And Christ is like, you don't have to worry about what people are going to say. You don't worry, have to worry if they're going to vilify you. Because of some of these other verses. Well, this one thing, remember the one thing? What we do in Christ will reveal the truth of Christ. So don't worry. Just serve and live for Christ. Faithfulness is born out of surrenderedness. So surrender yourself and live every day for him. Do you think God's going to be upset with you if you live for Christ at your job and they fire you for it? You think God's not going to provide for you? He is. He never, ever, ever, you can see this in all of scripture, read it, Genesis to Revelations. He never, never, ever forsakes his people and leaves them out there hanging who are faithful and seek to draw and do his will and draw close to him. He doesn't. He watches and protects. He, he moves heaven and earth to accomplish his will in their life. So you know this is true. So if you know that what people say and what people do, right? The confidence of Christ. Don't leave home without it. What we do in Christ will reveal the truth of Christ. Look at verse 17. 
This is, the, this is just the, the genius of God and the, the sensitivity of Peter listening to him in this. Because they know the world we live in. They lived in it through it. God created it all. Holds it together through Jesus. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, sometimes it is, than for doing evil. I, I just, I love that phrase so much. It's such a, it's such a tension, right? It's such a tension. This isn't a message on, on, on how to remove all the suffering in your life forever. That message is when we die as Christians and Christians only, will we then enter into heaven and find forgiveness and all those things right away. But on this side of the tombstone, we've got to suffer. There are difficult things that are going to happen. So when you're looking at this, it, I love that, that doing good for God's will is a better reason to suffer than because of evil. Why is that? Well, the scripture tells us there are new mercies every morning. Plus, God just sees it differently. God sees it differently. When my kids were learning to walk and they would all fall down, never got upset with them for falling down, never got upset with them for trying to walk, gave them encouragement, grace, you hold their hands with the wife and you try to help them along. But what I don't have a lot of grace for is when they try to push each other down, when they throw each other onto the couch, when they're doing that in, in hurtfulness and, and meanness. That's not good. That's not how we treat brothers and sisters. So I don't have a lot of grace for that. The same is true for this verse. If you suffer for doing good, and if that's God's will that you should, we were just talking last uh, night at our, our uh, burgers and Bibles about how um, suffering is such just a great fertile ground for people to be sensitive to learn and to come together. So sometimes God can do more in suffering than he can in abundance because we so easily pat ourselves on the back and leave God behind. But should that be his will that you would suffer? Jesus suffered his own son on the cross. That's way better than doing evil, right? Way better than suffering because you do evil. So my encouragement to you, this, this freeing message here, is to, to know that there is a good purpose for suffering in the sovereignty of God. And I think God's, God's supposed to be so good and he's supposed to be all loving. He is and he is. Why is there suffering? Read Genesis 3. You'll find out why. We broke this mess. Mankind ruined it. So much so to the point that only Jesus Christ could come and save us all. So when you're thinking about that, right? Suffering for doing God's will shows that he's real. Because it brings him glory and makes disciples. In our suffering, when we suffer well and doing God's will, it shows that God provides, that Jesus Christ still loves, and the Holy Spirit still guides. So when you're going through suffering for doing good, and you continue to hold the faith, to stand the ground, to push forward, to follow the steps before you, that says to everyone else around you in the world, I love Christ and he's real. And I'm not going to bail. People may not bail on stuff all the time because they're not all in. Bible talks about how um, there's this sheep farmer who's taking care of his sheep in the pen and these wolves come around. And as these wolves come around and attack the sheep, the hired worker just runs. He's like, this ain't worth my life. But the good shepherd, the one who loves those sheep, the one who will live and die, he sleeps at the gate with his back in the opening. And he fights and kills any wolves that come. So when we are in our suffering and we stay close to Christ, that says all other religions, all other false gods, all other philosophies or ways of thinking or cultural trends, put them in the trash. 
Because the treasure is Jesus Christ. It also shows that when we suffer for not doing God's will, that he's real because we lose our purpose and our joyful contentment. When we give up on God and give in to wrongness, we know that we've suffered and that's our own deal. There's no one else to blame. In the darkness of night, when you're sitting there alone, you know that there, it really isn't somebody else's problem. It's yours. You've stepped out of God's will. You've moved away from who he is. And that shows us and everybody else around go, man, when you step out of God's will, bad things begin to happen. Suffering takes place for no purpose and good reason. So we see in this verse, you do good, which means you're obedient and you submit to God's good will. That's where the protection and provision comes from Christ. That's what gives us hope and courage. That's what it's saying in verse 17. It's better to suffer for doing good, which means it's better to suffer and follow God's will. Be obedient and be submissive no matter how hard it is. No matter how hard it is. Don't trade the 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years you get on this mud ball that floats in the darkness for an eternity with Christ. And so many people take that exchange every day. Sorry God, sorry Christ, sorry Holy Spirit. I don't want the people to think I'm, I'm, I'm weird or awkward or I don't want them to keep from giving me good little trinkets and stuff. So as a Christian, what are some of the benefits of suffering for doing good, right? We ask the question. If we have good conscience and behavior before, what are those benefits? We don't have to worry. What are the benefits of suffering for doing good as a Christian? Remember, if, if you're not a Christian, your suffering um, has no really good true purpose other than to bring you closer to Christ to be saved. All your suffering outside of Christianity is to bring you into the family of God. It's to show you how much you need Jesus and forgiveness for your sins. But as a Christian, what we know as some of the benefits, and this is just one, there's so many, a couple of them really. We know that Jesus Christ will protect and provide for us through the Holy Spirit no matter what. That's why it says in that verse, it's better to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. So no matter what, in accordance with God's will, Jesus will provide. That faithfulness gives us assurance to not ever worry about what people say, say about us. They want to slander us in the streets and in the neighborhood because we love Jesus? Fine. They want to vilify us because we love and serve Jesus and say we're intolerant and we hate people and we don't want things to be um, a certain way or we won't give in. Then fine, let them say those things. Because all of this in God's eyes is different. When you see and stand for Jesus Christ, he sees these moments of us differently when we suffer for doing good. So based on this message, what's something that we can do, um, maybe even you more specifically can do, to become more like Jesus Christ in this? Look, from it might even not even be able to go to bed tonight before somebody says something um, that's negative about you to someone else, or you'll find later. Or the, if you live longer than 24 hours, it could happen too. So based on this message, how in your worship can you begin to strengthen yourself to be prepared for this? Remember the good conscience and the good behavior? I would say discover good biblical responses. During your Bible study with God, and I'm talking your one-on-one, your, your -on -one, and you could really do it in corporate too when you're sitting around with other people talking and discussing, but during your Bible study, ask God to show you how to respond to life biblically. Go, God, here, here's like a legit, real, specific scenario. 
I've got a boss who. I've got an employee that. My spouse does. My kids will or won't. And just go, God, how do I respond biblically? Remind me of a time in scriptures where an instance like this happened and then you can then show me. And you're going to need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, right? You're going to need the wisdom to see the deep truths that reside there. Because it's not going to have a story in there about Jennifer who's not getting along with her husband Frank. And what has she got to do specifically to keep Frank from leaving his wet towels on the floor and talking bad about her to his buddies. But there are truths in there of how wives and husbands should respond to each other to have healthy and strong relationships. It's all throughout scripture. So discover good biblical responses and, and do that. And do that. Just ask God, God, what do I do at work? Worship on where I live to respond that way. When you're in community with others and you're around them, been there, done that, been around people, literally just they kind of gang up on the Christians, gang up on the Christians, and they just start railing on them. When you're around with other um, community people, Christ-likeness overcomes rumors every time in God's eyes. Every time. We talked last message in First Peter when we looked at verses, uh, the previous verses of this just right before it, that, that the ones that matter most are God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So Christ-likeness overcomes rumors every time in God's eyes. Look at when the devil came to God, entered in to God's presence, and said, I want Job. I want him. And God's like, you can only do this and you can only do that. The Christ-likeness of Job prevailed all the way through and overcame all the rumors that the devil was saying about him. They'll, he'll never, or you take away all his money, he's done. You take away his family, he's done. You take away his health, he's done. And God's like, no, I know him. And in my eyes, you say what you want, deceiver devil, but I know him. So love the Lord your God with, with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength while loving your neighbor as yourself. Christ-likeness all the time. And just trust that the Lord's going to go before you and that the truth is going to come out one day. Don't allow people to word you out of God's word, to slander you away from the Savior. The next one I'd say to service. Here's a great way that you can serve others. Suffer with purpose and meaning. Suffer with purpose and meaning. Suffering for doing God's will strengthens your joyful contentment as a Christian. It's so interesting how this works in scriptures, right? These verses aren't, here's how to get suffering out of your life forever. We already mentioned that. But what it tells us is how to find joyful contentment. It tells us the good conscience and the good behavior. It tells us for doing good and following God's will. That's what bores up the joyful contentment. A maturing Christian looks at the suffering they have in Christ and finds themselves like um, Peter and John in the prison singing and rejoicing after they've recently been beaten like Jesus was by Roman soldiers. Counting a joy and rejoicing. Remember Matthew 5 that we just read earlier. Rejoice and be glad because you're going to be blessed by God. So when you suffer with purpose and with meaning, know that you are going through this difficult thing because you love God and he's real and it brings contentment in you. Find strength in that as a Christian to know that in all of these things that he goes and pursues that you don't have to be discontent. You know you can't escape suffering anyways this side of heaven. So why not give it a great eternal purpose and bring God 
glory in it. So suffer with purpose and meaning. Know that there is a greater goal that waits. The 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 saints of the first century, the believers of the first centuries, um, always always rejoiced in their suffering. Those who matured to a certain point, because they knew that they would give them. Read it, it's in the Bible: a greater resurrection. To be able to do more for that. And is that not true in a loving relationship? Imagine what would happen in your most loving relationship. The one you care about most deeply after God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. If you just woke up every day and go, hey, you know, what can I do to make your day better? What can I do for you today? How can I help and love and show that I love Jesus and I am content where I am? And finally, multiplication. This is a message of me. I know I joked and kind of referenced middle schoolers and how they need it the most because that's their everyday. But we all do. Because those who don't find freedom in middle schoolers carry that, that desire, peer pressure, and people pleasing in the high school. Then it moves into their 20s, 30s, 40s, and it could be with them forever. So we as Christians must share hope and courage in Christ. We must encourage them through obedience and submission to lead others to the protection and provision of Christ from any slander and from any lies. To say, hey look, you may be concerned about what they're going to say or or how you do something and you're trying to be faithful. Read Romans 14, great advice on this. You go in, you move, and you follow and go, look, here's the hope of Christ. We live for eternity, not for the day. We have courage in Christ because we know he goes before us. We know that he's behind us and that the truth will eventually come out. It might take decades. It could take weeks. Who knows? But we are going to focus and live for him. So if we're faithful, we're bearing food for Christ and people are going to rip us for that. Say things about our Savior and, and our other brothers and sisters who serve. You just continue to give out hope and give out courage. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know the Holy Spirit comforts and guides. I know that God the Father is all-knowing. He's all-present and he's all-powerful. And his sovereignty reigns in this world and in my heart. And to live each day that way. Then you don't have to worry about the next time you go into work. You don't have to worry about the next time you have to have that conversation. You don't worry about the next time, anytime. You won't have to give in to that. So let's remind you of the one thing one last time. One thing one last time. What we do as Christians in Christ will reveal the truth of Christ. Your faithfulness, your surrenderedness. So just not, if you're being faithful to Christ, you don't have to worry. Doing the very best that you can. And your relationship with Jesus Christ and you're growing and working and moving and stumbling and and that goes in. Just know that what you do in Christ will eventually reveal the truth of Christ. And he'll speak up for you. Other Christians will speak for you. Man, even if he's got to make the rock speak or a donkey speak, he'll do that too. Whatever he needs to do to get the truth out, it's going to win the day. Because always the truth of Christ prevails. It is never defeated, it is never held down, it is never stopped, but it continues to move forward. Let's pray together. God, we pray for those who um, don't know you as Lord and Savior. We pray for those who are suffering with, with, without real purpose or access to you because they're not saved. Their greatest need is salvation from their sins. They've not tasted, they've not seen, they've not experienced, they've not known through faith that they are saved by grace. So Lord, we pray now for them as they're watching and as they're listening. We pray, Lord, that you would deliver them from sin, which you died and rose again from by the power of God. So Lord, I pray right now that they'll ask you 
to forgive them for their sins. That they will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Just do that now. And that they'll believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. Do that now. And that they'll be saved. And God for us as Christians, help us to not be silent so easily. Help us to speak wisely, to not worry about what people are going to say and critique and give opinions on our faithfulness, but instead, let's just be faithful and obedient and submissive to you and live free from what people say in our faithfulness. Live free from what people say in our fruitfulness. Because they can, they can cage us up and tear us down with praise as much as they can criticism. Help us, Lord, to just live for you, to be faithful to you, so that we bring you glory, so that we make disciples. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great and wonderful rest of the day.